0: Welcome to this reading of the Business Record, Central Iowa's Business Weekly. I'm Pat Steele, your reader. All material heard on iris is intended for the use of listeners with print disabilities. And here's our first story. The popular and top-ranked Toppling Goliath Brewing Company is expanding to Des Moines. The maker of Pseudo Sioux Pale Ale and Dorothy's New World Lager Plans on opening a tap room in a mixed-use development plan near Drake University. Clark Louie, owner of the brewing company, said, We've been looking for a while now on where to place our coveted second location in Iowa. We have looked all over, Iowa City, Des Moines, Cedar Rapids, Council Bluffs. We've been very patient. From early on, it felt like Des Moines was going to be the right fit for us. It was a critical city that helped us become who we are, and the beer culture there is amazing. Toppling Goliath will be the anchor tenant of a development planned by Merge Urban Development Group, a Cedar Falls firm that is building two five-story mixed-use buildings on the north half of a block bounded by 24th and 25th Streets and University and Carpenter Avenue. Louis said he expects the taproom to open in the first half of 2025. Toppling Goliath's Des Moines location will include a restaurant and a brewery that makes between 500 and 1,000 barrels a year. There's going to be a lot of exciting beers made by Toppling Goliath in Des Moines that you'll only be able to get there. The company is considered among the world's top beer brewers. In 2022, three of Toppling Goliath's beers were listed among beer advocates' top 10 rated beers. Seven others were among the top 250 beers listed. In addition, Toppling Goliath's Pseudo Sue was named the Best Midwest Pale Ale in the United States Beer Tasting Championship In 2022, and its Naughty naughty Temple and Assassin 2022 won gold medals in the 2022 U.S. Open Beer Championship. The brewing company was started in 2009 by Clark and Barbara Louie after a successful venture in home brewing. In February 2018, the couple opened the Decora taproom that attracts thousands of visitors annually. For instance, in 2019, when the brewer released Morning Delight, a stout beer made with maple syrup and coffee, more than 4,000 people from 14 states showed up at the brewery, according to uh, AmericanCraftBrew.com. The brewer makes between 45,000 and 50,000 barrels of beer annually. Opening a second location won't detract from the success of Toppling Goliath's headquarters in Decorah, Clark Lewis said, People that may not make the trek to Decorah, for instance, folks who live in Council Bluffs, may go to Des Moines. We think Des Moines will just add to what we already do, and we hope that we can be a small part of the great beer scene that already exists in Des Moines. Locating the taproom in the Drake neighborhood is a boon to the area, which is undergoing a revival of sorts. Earlier this year, the historic Varsity Cinema reopened after undergoing a nearly $5 million renovation. A new three-story mixed-use building with apartments and a grocery store is planned at 2211 University Avenue, where a convenience store and fuel pumps had been located. Construction is nearly complete on a $19.5 million 4,000-seat stadium at 2405 Forst Avenue that will be shared by Drake University and the Des Moines School District. Nearly three years ago, a 124-room home to suites by Hilton Opened at 2650 University Avenue. The development by Nelson Construction Development includes street level commercial space. About two years ago, the Des Moines based firm also completed a mixed use project at 26th Street and University Avenue. Adding toppling Goliath to the mix makes this area more of a destination, said Ben Godar, executive director of the nonprofit Des Moines Film Society that operates the Varsity Cinema. We are a neighborhood with a lot of exciting things happening, a lot of forward momentum occurring. Having a tap room in the neighborhood adds even more energy to the area. Toppling Goliath will be located in about 15,000 square feet of street-level space of merged urban development, Drake's project that will include apartments and commercial space. The mixed-use project was first announced in June 2019, a spokesperson for Merge Urban was unavailable for comment. Louis has been searching for a second Toppling Goliath location for over two years. In 2021, the company asked for proposals from developers and property owners who were interested in a tap room and brewery. Louis said the selection process took time because state law only allows the brewer to have two Iowa locations. We're considered a native Iowa brewery, so we can only have licenses for two tap rooms, Louis said. We wanted to get our second location right. Louis listed several reasons why he decided to locate the tap room in the Drake neighborhood. He said, we like the area because it's ripe for some revitalization. It's accessible. There's good public transportation to and from the area. I think we'll be a little bit of our own island there. Louis said he and his team considered several locations in and around Des Moines. The group looked at renovating existing buildings and building a new facility, he said. Merge had this idea and had acquired the property and it just felt right to us. We're very excited. Having toppling Goliath in a neighborhood will make this really feel like a college town shopping district should feel, Courtney Ackerson, president of the Drake Neighborhood Association, said. It will help attract people who can, hopefully, come and sit and enjoy the neighborhood and not just go to one store and move on. Next in the business record, a campaign to raise between $5 million and $8 million to renovate the new home in the Italian American Cultural Center of Iowa will be launched this fall, a GOES supporter said. It's very doable. Jeff Lamberti, chair of the group's board of governors, said, I've raised money for things a lot harder than this will be. What we are trying to do is create a home for our museum, but also do much more than that. Create a place that will include banquet facilities, meeting rooms, and event spaces. Our previous location was mostly a museum and cultural center. This new location will be more than just that. Earlier this year, the Italian American Cultural Center of Iowa made the final payment on a $3.3 million contract to purchase property at 2633 Fleur Drive in Des Moines. The seven-acre parcel includes what is locally known as Butler Mansion, a three-story iconic white building that sits on a hill overlooking Gray's Lake, Waterworks Park, and downtown Des Moines. The mansion was built by Earl Butler, an engineer and world traveler, in 1934. Butler wanted a house that would inspire him to stay home, according to Jay Pridemore, the author of Des Moines Architecture and Design. Butler commissioned a local architectural firm to design the house that features white case concrete walls, curved interiors, indirect lighting, and arrangement of rooms that put the most important living areas in the back where they overlook the countryside, Pridmore wrote. Previous owners of the property included Open Bible College, Jack Craigie and Elizabeth Newell, and Bob Boyson, from whom the Italian American Cultural Center of Iowa purchased the property. Pat Schneider, a vice president with Ferguson Commercial Real Estate Services, represented the Italian-American Cultural Center of Iowa in the transition, or transaction, I should say. She said the group wanted to find a place that looked like a cultural center and had character. When people in the group saw this building, they knew it would work, Schneider said. The Italian-American Cultural Center of Iowa has been located in a one-story building at 1961 Indianola Avenue for several decades Relocating the center in its activities will allow the organization to expand its offerings and provide the area with unique event space to lease, said Loretta Seaman, a member of the group. There's going to be a lot of programs you normally wouldn't associate with a center like this. The new center is expected to include a museum that will host traveling exhibits, a cultural center that will provide interactive displays in Iowa Italian heritage exhibits, An education center that will offer classes in such things as Italian language, genealogy, and folk dancing. It will also provide classes for young people and others pursuing a high school diploma. An art studio that will offer classes in Italian arts. A demonstration kitchen where cooking classes will be held. A theater room where lectures, movies, and social gatherings can be held. A merchant store that will provide Italian goods and artifacts. An Italian cafe and coffee bar that will feature food and beverages prepared with Italian herbs and vegetables also planned are a Bocce pavilion will be large enough to host national tournaments, a banquet hall, event spaces, and catering kitchen, outdoor courtyard, a garden with Italian herbs, and a vineyard that will allow the community to help with harvesting and grape stomping. The group's programs will be expanded to include more activities for youth and older adults. A large contingent of Italian immigrants came to Iowa between 1900 and 1920 to escape poverty in their home country, according to history on the website of the Italian American Cultural Center of Iowa's website. Many settled in central Iowa where they worked in coal mines or on the railroads. Others opened stores and restaurants. Lamberti's grandfather immigrated to Iowa from Italy. Lamberti's father, Dan Donald Lamberti, co-founded Casey's General Store in the late 1960s. When plans for the proposed new center began to emerge, some in Iowa's Italian community were apprehensive, Jeff Lamberti said. There was some apprehension about whether this was the right thing to do. I've met with them, and the response has been good. We are getting good buy-in. The new center is also something Lamberti said his parents, Don and Charlene Lamberti, want to see completed. My parents have made a commitment that if we could find a permanent home for the center, they want to help with it, Jeff Lamberti said. I'd like to see this done while they are still here to enjoy it. The group worked for over two years to raise money to pay off the contract to purchase the property, Also, in recent months, the nonprofit group's management team has been reconfigured in an effort to make operating the center more efficient. The Board of Governors is overseeing day to day functions, finances, building maintenance, and other issues. The Heritage and Cultural Board, which includes community members, is focusing on preserving, promoting, and providing education about Italian American culture. Now that the property has been acquired, the group is planning improvements to the building and working with RDG Planning and Design on Remodeling and Interior Redesigns. One major improvement, the replacement of the roof, is underway. Lamberti said that once the architectural drawings are complete, the fundraising campaign will begin. He estimated that the campaign will last about 12 to 18 months. Renovation work on the building will likely begin during the campaign, he said, When this entire project is done, we want people to walk into the building and say, wow. We know this is a large project to undertake, but we're confident we can raise the money and create something special that people will be proud of. And that was a quote from Jeff Lamberti. Now here are some facts about Butler Mansion. The address is 2633 Floor Drive in Des Moines. It was built in 1934. The original owner was Earl Butler. Total number of rooms in the mansion are 28 plus 10 bathrooms. Total square footage originally was 13,000. There is a central ramp of seven levels of the house accessed by a 300-foot long ramp. The amount of steel used to build the original house, 110 tons. The amount of concrete in the original house 115 train car loads. The mansion was called the home of the future in the late night in the late 1930s because it included automatic heating and air conditioning, automatic water softening, electrical garbage disposal, a dishwasher, dish towel dryer and garage door opener, cold storage room for freezing game ice cube freezer with 675 cube capacity, 19,000 feet of telephone cable connecting eight telephones, and in the dining room, a frosted glass panel that concealed 96 red, blue, and yellow light bulbs that allowed the room to be any color. Some unique features include a spotlight made by General Electric that was installed in a room on the top story of the house, In inclement weather, Butler helped guide airplanes to the airport, also a secret room on a lower level that Butler installed to store alcoholic beverages. Remember, this was built in the 1930s, uh, shortly after Prohibition ended in America. Will the Italian American Festival return? The most frequently asked question of people with ties to the Italian American Cultural Center of Iowa is whether the group's annual festival will return. Lamberti said the answer is an unequivocal yes. A lot of planning goes into it, and right now our first priority is fundraising for the center, but the festival will return. Lamberti said the earliest the festival would be held is mid-2024, however 2025 is likely more realistic. The Italian American Heritage Festival of Iowa was first held in 2009. The festival's goal is bringing awareness of Italian culture, the festival was held on the Court Avenue Bridge in its first two years. In 2011, it moved to the Western Gate Parkway, Parkway. I'm sorry, Western Gateway Park. An estimated 16,000 people attended the two-day event, which was last held in 2019. The pandemic shut down the festival in both 2020 and 2021. This year, people with ties to the festival have been focused on raising money to renovate the cultural center's new home. Susan DeFazio, a Board of Governors member, said, I don't think we have enough space at the mansion to hold the festival. We need to find a place where we can afford to hold it. We can't spend more than we bring in and then do the planning for the event, which takes a lot of time. And that article was written by Kathy Bolton, who's a senior staff writer at The Business Record. Elsewhere in The Business Record, as businesses adapt to the changes of the post-pandemic business environment, a strong and healthy business climate is critical for our enterprises to advance and for our state to thrive and grow. During the second Envision Iowa think tank, speakers focused on business opportunities, including the development of key industries, innovation, and in public-private partnerships. Participants had the chance to connect with stakeholders across the state and discuss opportunities and solutions to the challenges that they face. Speakers at the event included Mike Roston, who is the president of the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, Nancy Bird, the CEO of the Iowa City Area Development Group, Lori Schaefer Wheaton, the president of Agri-Industrial Plastics Company, and Dan Keel, who is the chairman and CEO of Holmes Murphy & Associates. A development agreement between the City of Norwalk and Hussman Construction Company was recently approved by the City Council, a step that moves closer to the start of construction of the community's second hotel. Hussman Development, which is based in Anamosa, plans on building a four-story, 83-room hotel on about three and a half acres north of a planned extension of Chatham Avenue on the east side of Iowa, Highway 28. The true hotel by Hilton will include a swimming pool, lounge, and activity space. Hussman Development has received franchise approval for the hotel and is expected to acquire the property in September, according to information provided to the Council. Earlier this month, the council approved rezoning the property to allow for hotel use. The development agreement includes providing Hussman development up to $3.6 million in financial incentives over 15 years. In return, the project is expected to have a minimum assessed value of $8 million and generate property taxes of $301,000 annually. Development costs are estimated at between $12 million and $14 million. The hotel is the second one planned in Norwalk, Earlier this summer, the council approved a similar development agreement with Compound Capital Holdings that plans on developing a four-story, 79-room Fairfield Inn and Suites at Chatham Avenue and Hughes Drive. Fairfield Inns are part of the Marriott chain of hotels. The facility will include a bar and outdoor pool. Development costs for that hotel are estimated at $14 million dollars. Both hotels will be north of Norwalk Central, a planned mixed-use development that is expected to include retail, restaurants, sporting and recreation venues. In public spaces such as trails, parks, and an amphitheater, Norwalk Central's recreational facilities are expected to attract more than 1 million visitors annually. The Greater Des Moines Partnership is accepting applications for the 2023 Inclusion Awards, which will be presented at the 11th Annual Inclusion Summit from 8.30 a.m. to 1.00 p.m. November 15th at the FFA Enrichment Center in Ankeny. The awards will recognize employers who have prioritized diversity, equity, and inclusion at their businesses, organizations, and in the community to qualify for the awards, organizations must be an investor or regional member of the partnership. Nominees must submit their application by September 15th. We are excited to once again shine a spotlight on organizations that have made a difference through their dedication to fostering inclusivity and creating a sense of belonging. That statement comes from Marvin DeGere, who's the Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer at the partnership. We want to recognize organizations that are working to create a more inclusive and working place, a welcoming workplace and community, uh, said DeGier. and more details about the event and the applications are available through the Des Moines Partnership. First Community Trust, a nationally chartered trust company headquartered in Dubuque, is partnering with Ames-based River Valley Credit Union to offer trust services, investment, management, and retirement services to more Iowans. First community trust services include investment management, retirement planning, and retirement income strategies, primarily through credit unions, as well as trust in estate administration. Brian Godwin, the CEO of River Valley, said in a prepared release, I believe that this partnership will empower more members to make informed financial decisions that lead to long-term financial stability and success. First Community Trust has a partnership with seven other credit unions across the state, including ones located in central and eastern Iowa, as well as western Illinois. The Iowa Department of Transportation, sometimes referred to as IDOT, has been awarded $2 million in federal grants for projects that create innovative transportation technologies. The projects are among 10 in eight states that received a total of $8.8 million in federal highway administration grants that were announced today. The Iowa DOT and Buena Vista County received $1 million to use technologies to map and identify the state's gravel road network and create a tool to manage the data and calculate performance to give county engineers and the state an indication of the remaining life of those roads. The Iowa DOT also received another $1 million for e-ticketing. Another technology as part of a pilot project designed to schedule timely and critical repairs. The project will also feature technology that will turn project delivery from a two-dimensional plan model to a three-dimensional model encompassing a digital of the infrastructure. Funding for the grants are provided by the Federal Highway Administration's Accelerated Innovation Deployment demonstration program. The LUCA Anti-Fraud Seminar will focus on fraud prevention and why it is an important topic, especially for Spanish speakers. The seminar aims to help Spanish speakers avoid fraud. The event will take place from 1.30 to 3 p.m. Sunday, August 27th at the Des Moines Area Religious Council's Food Distribution Center at 100 Army Post Road. The seminar will highlight how language barriers are often a tool scammers use to steal personal information and financial assets. Speakers will provide tips, warnings, and best practices related to protecting financial assets. The Iowa Insurance Division, along with the Iowa Attorney General's Office, the Senior Health Insurance Information Program, and the Senior Medicare Patrol, will help run the event. The Boyne based prophet L. Exito. Will be a co-host and more details about the event are available at that organization's website. AHEPA Senior Living, a Fisher's Indiana-based nonprofit provider for affordable multifamily housing for adults, is the project developer for construction starting on a three-story 90-unit affordable housing project near Southridge Mall in Des Moines South Site. The housing development will be located west of the Mall on Space Montgomery Ward Department Store once occupied. A groundbreaking ceremony for the project was held last week. Construction is expected to take up to 20 months to complete. The project will be the 5th Des Moines Area Affordable Senior Housing Community managed by AH AHEPA Senior Living and administered by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development Section 202 Program. The company manages a senior living community in Johnston and three in Ankeny. The Southside Des Moines Development is a $22 million project. Financing includes $8.9 million from the federal Section 202 program, $6 million in low-income housing tax credits, $1.25 million from the Polk County Housing Trust Fund, and up to $352,628 in assistance from the City of Des Moines. The developer also obtained a HUD mortgage loan, according to a news release. AHEPA Senior Living, Affordable Independent Living Communities, offer very low-income older adults, 62 years and older, residential apartment home living with supportive services such as meals, housekeeping, and transportation assistance. Steve Beck, Senior Living President and CEO, said in a prepared statement, the need for affordable housing, especially for very low-income seniors, is great, and in the Des Moines area, each of our four existing communities has a wait list. Ball Team LLC is the project's general contractor. And now we'll take a look at this week's real estate news. Our top story in this section is New York Group pays $21 million for warehouse property in Ankeny. Kathy Bolton, the business record, wrote this story. A New York property investment and management firm has purchased a recently completed warehouse in Ankeny paying $21 million for the property. Chapman Investors, LLC, and Chapman Investors 2, LLC, both managed by Provident Management Corporation, purchased the property at 5950 Delaware Avenue from Ryan Cause U.S. Incorporated. Construction of the 200,000-square-foot, 200, uh, 200, one-story warehouse was recently completed. Provident Management primarily does business in New York and the Midwest. According to the company's website, the Ankeny property is valued at $21.2 million dollars. In other real estate transactions, New City Church, based in Ankeny, paid Keystone Church of Ankeny $2.87 million for property on South Ankeny Boulevard. The property includes a one-story, 20,000-square-foot building constructed in 1994. The property, which is tax-exempt, is valued at $2.5 million. Christy Toman paid Collier LLC just over $1 million for condominium property located on Southwest Magazine Road in Ankeny. TBSS Real Estate, located in Johnston, paid Dizardway Way LLC $2.5 million for property located on Northeast 14th Street. The 1.3 acre parcel includes a 9,040 square foot warehouse built in 1972. That property is valued at $914,000. They also bought another property at 5582 Northeast 14th Street. That is undeveloped and valued at $508,000. That transaction was recorded on August 16th. Adam and Aaron Miller paid Eugene and Delina Elliott $1.3 million for property on Burr Oak Drive in West Des Moines. The property includes twenty-four. uh 2,400 square foot house built in 2000. That transaction was recorded on August 17. Shannon and Cindy Bryan paid Lorraine Beard $1.55 million for property on Northwest 102nd Avenue in Granger. The 12-acre parcel includes a one-story 2,048 square foot house that was built in 2017. Polk County Conservation Board paid the Norma Harding Estate $1.3 million for farm ground located west of Northwest 86th Street and north of Little Beaver Creek, and that's in Jefferson Township. The parcel includes 62 acres. And finally, a real estate note from Dallas County, 1500 Southeast University LLC located in Cedar Grove, New Jersey, paid star 98 LLC. $2.98 $2.98 million for property at 1500 Southeast University Avenue in Waukee. The 1.2-acre parcel includes a recently constructed Starbucks coffee shop with a drive through And you are listening to this week's edition of the Business Record. Our thanks to the folks at Business Publications for, for providing a copy of the Business Record to Iris so that we can read it for you. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS program, please give us a call at 515-243-6833. Now back to the business record. State Fair vendors donated 12,000 pounds of food to the Food Bank of Iowa. The Food Bank of Iowa rescued more than 12,000 pounds of unused food from 16 vendors following the Iowa State Fair, which ended on Sunday. According to a news release, that is almost 5,000 pounds more than was rescued from vendors in 2022. Food bank staff and volunteers collected the food on Monday and delivered some of it immediately to Hope Ministries Bethel Mission, YMCA Supportive Housing Campus, Creative Visions, and Central Iowa Shelter and Services. The rest will be distributed to food pantries. Across the food bank's 55-county territory, items donated by vendors include fresh produce, hard-boiled eggs, ice cream, cheese slices, hoagie buns, coleslaw, milk, and strawberry shortcake rolls. According to the release, Food Bank of Iowa rescues more than 7 million pounds of food each year. The United States Department of Agriculture estimates as much as 40% of the food supply Are about $408 billion in food food is thrown away every year. The University of Iowa's Tippie College of Business is offering a new certificate program to help working professionals who want to advance in their careers in the field of risk management and insurance. The four-class program can be taken fully online and can be completed within 12 months. It can also be embedded as part of the Iowa MBA program. Applications are open to anyone who has a bachelor's degree and 18 months of professional experience. Students in the Risk Management and Insurance Certificate Program will gain an understanding of the unique landscape of insurance along with the ability to make strategic recommendations that will help their employees avoid undue risk. Thomas Barry Stolte, Professor of Finance and Director of the Risk Management Program, said this in a prepared statement. He added that the classes are designed for people who work in the insurance industry but have no background in insurance or in finance and want to get up to speed, people who work for insurance companies but not in a risk management capacity and want to understand the industry better, and people who work outside the industry and are looking for a career change and more details about this certificate available at the Tippie College of Business website. WorkKiva survey shows businesses grappling with ESG reporting complexity. In 2023, Global ESG Practitioner Survey commissioned by Ames-based Workiva Incorporated, 71% of environmental, social, and governance practi- practitioners surveyed said three or more internal teams contribute to ESG reporting within their organizations. Additionally, 74% 74 said their companies have appointed at least one employee to oversee ESG reporting and initiatives. That's up 6% over the previous year, and the same percentage expect the organizations will, will be required to comply with two or more global regulations. ESG reporting is the disclosure of environmental, social, and corporate governance data. The purpose is to highlight a company's ESG activities, again that's environmental, social, and corporate governance, while improving investor transparency and encouraging other organizations to do the same. In collaboration with um, Workiva, Ascend 2 conducted the global online survey of ESG practitioners in July 2023, Ascend 2 polled 926 professionals from teams typically involved in ESG reporting, including executive leadership, finance, and accounting. Respondents spanned nine major global markets, including the United States, Canada, the UK, Germany, France, the Netherlands, Australia, Japan, and Singapore. All respondents came from companies with at least $250 million in annual recurring revenue, And 45% came from companies worth $1 billion or more. Alex Edmonds, a professor of finance at London Business School who helped develop the survey, said this in a prepared release. It's no secret ESG is receiving heightened attention in boardrooms or that increasingly complex frameworks, standards, and regulations are presenting new challenges in ESG reporting. Edmund said that what struck me from the survey results is the dichotomy between practitioners of all levels agreeing they find value in ESG reporting, while managers and entrenchers are saying their companies are not applying the same diligence to ESG reporting as they do to financial reporting. The survey uncovered a disparity in perceptions across senior, seniority levels. While 62% of C-level executives strongly agreed that their companies apply the same level of diligence to ESG reporting as they do to financial reporting, only 32% of managers and senior managers shared the same belief. And while 87% of executives said the organizations have appointed someone to an ESG-specific role, 68% of managers said the same. Despite the disconnect, of survey respondents said that in the next two years, having a strong ESG reporting program will give their organizations a competitive advantage. Additionally, respondents from organizations that have been reporting on ESG for five years or longer were more likely to say ESG has generated cost savings and improved brand awareness and or reputations for their companies compared with those that have been reporting on ESG issues for two years or less. Elsewhere from the August 22nd edition of the Business Record, Greater Des Moines Partnership promotes two team members. The Greater Des Moines Partnership recently promoted Courtney Shaw to Chief Communications Officer and Renee Mock to Vice President of Downtown Development. As Chief Communications Officer, Shaw will continue to lead the organization's communications and marketing team and expand her role to assist with organizational planning. Shaw has worked at the partnership since 2019, most recently serving as Senior Vice President for Communications since 2021. As Vice President of Downtown Development, Malk will continue to lead the organization's downtown economic development efforts and take an expanded role in leading special projects. Malk has worked as Senior Director of Downtown Development for the partnership since March of this year. The University of Northern Iowa Family Business Center will host its third annual family business conference on November 2nd at the Ag Leader Academy in Ames. Jane Gilbertson, the CEO and owner of Janesville, Wisconsin-based Blaine Supply Incorporated and Blaine's Farm and Fleet, will give the keynote presentation. The event will focus on family-owned businesses and their impact on the Iowa economy. Al Myers, president of Ag Leader, said in a prepared statement, Participating in UNI's Family Business Forum has opened my eyes to how long businesses can survive and grow while remaining a fully family-owned operation. We've met many third, fourth, and even fifth-generation family-owned businesses. Networking, a cocktail hour, and tours will be available after the scheduled events. Generational family businesses that are members of the UNI's Family Business Conference will receive two complimentary tickets to the event, as well as a discounted price of $75 for all additional tickets purchased. Non-member tickets cost $175, an early bird discount of $25 off uh, on all tickets runs through August 31st. Volunteers clean 1,640 pounds of trash from Four Mile Creek. In an effort to help clean Iowa waterways, 68 volunteers picked up 1,640 pounds of trash from Four Mile Creek and the surrounding area during the Four Mile Fest on August 11th. The Iowa Rivers Revival Service Squad, which helped organize the Four Mile event, has partnered on 91 similar events this year in an effort that has led to the cleanup of more than 61,000 pounds of trash from Iowa waterways. Lee Tesdell, commissioner of the Polk County Soil and Water Conservation District, said in a prepared statement, I'm trying to learn as much as I can about leaving the land and the water in better shape than when I arrived. For the common good, some things that we do on my farm wouldn't necessarily be beneficial to me, but they might be to people downstream. That's what stewardship means to me. Four Mile Fest was part of the River Run Trash Grab, and was organized in partnership with Icon Water Trails, Athene, Polk County, Trouts Unlimited, Trout Unlimited, the Polk Soil and Water Convi- Conservation District, the City of Des Moines Parks and Recreation, Sustainable Iowa Land Trust, and Polk County Conservation. Mercy One Executive named two Women Health Systems CFOs to Know list. Becker's Hospital Review named Jody Rediger, interim chief financial officer and division vice president of finance for Mercy One, on its Women Hospital and Health System CFOs to Know list. Rediger is recognized among 182 CFOs who handle strategic financial planning, annual budgets, investments, and more. The number of women holding CFO positions at Fortune 500 and S&P 500 companies has nearly doubled over the past decade, according to the Chris Kolder volatility report, with women controlling 16% of CFO positions in 2022. Rediger was hired at Mercy One in 2019 to design a strategic financial plan and centralize financial services across the health system and became intern CFO while maintaining previous duties in 2022. She is responsible for overseeing financial operations, performance, and improvement, with a focus on improving financial reporting, reducing overhead, and implementing cost controls. The Young Professionals of Iowa Organization will host its annual conference from 9 a.m. to 4.15 p.m. on August 25th at the FFA Enrichment Center in Ankeny. The theme is Here, Now, Iowa, and the conference will focus on the importance of the state's next generation of leaders. Young professionals between the ages of 21 and 40 are encouraged to attend, but leaders of all ages are welcome as well as collegiate student leaders. Conference attendees will have the opportunity to learn from other industry leaders as well as attend informative sessions and interactive workshops while connecting with peers from across the state. Liz Need of Need Inspiration will deliver the keynote address entitled The Power of Now and Billy Weathers, CEO and co-owner of the Be Well Foundation, will provide opening remarks. A lunch panel will include insight from representatives of organizations such as the Greater Des Moines Partnership, the Iowa Business Council, and the Iowa Department of Human Rights. Throughout the summer, Iowa Jobs for American Graduates, or IJAG, and its stakeholders were recognize, recognized nationally for a variety of performance outcomes. Kira Canada, an IJAG alum, was elected president of the National Career Association, an organization that advocates for JAG students and influences the JAG student experience for state affiliates across the country. Additionally, three Dubuque-Hempstead High School students advanced to compete nationally at the National Career Development Conference against student groups from the 38 other state affiliates in April. In July, IJAG received JAG's top honor, the 6-6 National Network Award, for exceeding six out of six performance benchmarks that aim to improve graduation and employment. Four educators who deliver and support IJAG programming were also recognized for their performance. They are Amber Heckard of Ottumwa High School, Jamie Ballmer of Davenport Central High School, Joe Kenzie of South Tama, Community, South Tama County High School, and Justin Wagner, an IJAG school administrative partner and superintendent of the Woodbine Community School District. Iowa is one of 39 state affiliates of Jobs for America's Graduates, a nationwide nonprofit supported by state legislatures, Fortune 500 business executives, community leaders, and other career development experts throughout the country. David Spaulding, the dean of Iowa State's Ivy College of Business, was reappointed to a third five-year term to lead the business college. During his second term, Spaulding worked with Ivy faculty and staff on completing a 45,000-square-foot addition to the Gurdon Business Building, growing graduate enrollment and faculty numbers, establishing new academic programs, and leading in college reaccreditation. ISU President Wendy Witterstein said in a prepared statement David Spalding has transformed the Ivy College of Business during his 10 years as dean. He has engaged students, alumni, and Iowa's business community to create an exceptional educational experience that prepares graduates for successful careers across a wide range of fields and sets a high bar for peers across the nation. Spalding recently shared his visions and goals for the business college with the business record. Deere and company on Friday reported fiscal third-quarter earnings of $2.98 billion. The Moline, Illinois-based company also said it had a profit of $10.20 on a per-share basis. Deere reported a net income of $2.86 billion, are $9.65 per share for the second quarter, and a net income of $1.88 billion are $6.16 per share for the third quarter of 2022. The results beat Wall Street expectations, which estimated earnings of $8.14 per share, according to 12 analysts surveyed by Zacks Investment Research. The agricultural equipment manufacturer's reported revenue was $15.8 billion and suggested revenue was $14.28 billion, which also beat Wall Street forecast. Nine analysts surveyed by Zach's expected $14.20, $14.23 billion. Reflected by our strong third quarter results, Deere continues to benefit from favorable market conditions and operating environment showing further improvement. And that was, uh, came from a prepared statement uh, by John May, the dear chairman and chief executive officer. He added, we're also being helped by stabilizing conditions in the supply chain, the sound execution of our business plans, and an improving ability to meet demand for our products and serve customers. Eighteen Central Iowa leaders planned to skydive to support above and beyond cancer. Over the next month, Central Iowa leaders in business, health, philanthropy, government, and more will be tandem parachuting to support Above and Beyond Cancer. More than $80,000 has been raised so far to support cancer survivor programs. Above and Beyond Cancer was founded in 2011 by Des Moines oncologist Richard Deming. Support for the jumpers in Above and Beyond Cancer can be found on the Above and Beyond Cancer website. Of note, Connie Weimer, owner and chairman of Business Publications Corporation, the parent company of Business Record, will be one of the skydiving participants. And here are the other ones who will be joining Connie in skydiving for Above and Beyond Cancer. Dr. Hinjono Corona, he's the CMO and COO of Mercy One. Steve Chapman, a retired CEO of Rouen Transportation. Kathy Lacey, a community philanthropist. Virginia Lorsden, a community philanthropist. Dr. Jeff Nichols, a member of the Broadlawns Medical Center Foundation Board. Aaron Sawhill, a licensed independent social worker and cancer survivor. Also on the list include Dr. Dick Deming, the founder of Above and Beyond Cancer and Mercy One Deming Cancer Center. Dr. Rochelle Keck, she's the president of Grandview University. Amber Lenhart from Iowa Clinic, and she's their CFO. Dr. Tamara Richardson Colby of the Iowa Clinic. Uh, Mary Van Herculum, Program Director at Above and Beyond Cancer, and she's a cancer survivor. Jeff White, a Senior Vice President of Flynn Wright, and Dana Winger of the Des, Mo- uh, Des Moines Police Chief. Uh, others include Shannon Cofield of Mercy One Des Moines Hospital Foundation President. Dr. Adrian Henry, the president of Mercy College of Health Science, Dr. Anthony Coleman, Broadlawn's president and CFO, Robert Warren, CFO of Hoyt Sherman Place, and again, Ken, Connie Weimer, the owner and chairman of Business Publications. And now we turn our attention to the Albert Files. Uh, the title this week is Hamilton's Waterwork. This is a column written by David Albert of the Business Record. Neil Hamilton's new book, The River Knows, How Water and Land Will Shape Our Future, covers a lot of ground, more than 70,000 miles. That's the cumulative length of Iowa's natural waterways. Nearly all have problems, including the Raccoon River, which is ranked among the 10 worst rivers in the country. Iowa's hydraulic problems did not happen overnight. They are the product of decades of underfunding education and government services that were created to protect the environment, according to Hamilton, an emeritus professor of law and director of the Drake Agricultural Law Center, who grew up on a farm in southwest Iowa. He wrote, We've known for a long time what causes the problem. It's trying to grow too much corn and the accumulated waste of too many farm animals. It's too much manure and too many farm chemicals applied to fields designed for quick removal of rainwater. We can fix the problem with proper application of fertilizers, limiting animal, animal confinement operations, planting cover crops, and building bioswales and other structures to reduce runoff, but we don't because the same science denial that challenges climate change also erodes our soil and pollutes our water, Hamilton wrote. This is the second book in two years. The Land Remains, a Midwestern perspective on our past and future, explored the problems of Iowa's deteriorating soils the river knows, explains how the same bad practices are poisoning our water. Both books employ an unusual narrative device in which the land and the river periodically speak directly to readers. In The Land Remains, the voice is the Back Forty, a section on the farmstead where Hamilton grew up in Adams County. In the River knows the speaker is the Raccoon River, which for decades has carried pollution from farms in northern Iowa to water treatment plants in Des Moines and other downstream cities before it winds up in the Gulf of Mexico's dead zone. Hamilton's books explain how we got here and what it will take to turn around problems that are destroying rural Iowa. His latest book paints a bleak picture in which the deck is stacked against the river and anyone who tries to intervene on its behalf. The chief villain is agro-nationalism, which Hamilton explains promotes a police system based on eight tenets. One, farmers know what's best. Two, government regulations are inherently bad. Three, remedial efforts must be voluntary and compensated. Four, there is no connection between agriculture and climate change. Five, no one loves the land more than farmers. Six, government should promote maximum production of crops and livestocks seven, agriculture deserves public subsidies, and eight, it is against public interest to question or criticize farmers. Most Iowa farm commodity groups, along with meat processors and the agribusinesses that provide farm equipment, seeds, fertilizers, and pesticides, defend the tenets of nationalism. Hamilton wrote. One notable exception is the Iowa Soybean Association, which he said has a history of working with farmers to improve soil health, protect water quality, reduce fertilizer use, and to sequester carbon. Leading the other side is the Iowa Farm Bureau, which Hamilton said has a long history of success in its efforts to deny, deflect, delay, and even deceive the public concerning agriculture's impact on the environment. When it comes to laws and rules protecting the environment, he added, if the Farm Bureau does not want it, the legislature won't act. Despite the wall of challenges facing environmentalists, Hamilton remains hopeful for several reasons. One is that although state and federal bureaucrats have largely turned their backs on problems, grassroots movements are developing and supporting voter referendums to fund water and soil conservation projects. Recent proposals include plans for a 200-mile trail through western Iowa's Los hills and central Iowa's multi-county ICON Water Trails Project that would, among other things, enliven the downtown Des Moines Riverfront with a whitewater course. Finally, there are legal challenges which, while not successful so far, help educate the public and lay groundwork for future efforts. And Again, that's a column written for The Business Record by David Elbert. A maker of sandpaper and abrasive products has been awarded a package of tax credits and refunds from the Iowa Economic Development Authority to expand production at its plant in Ames. The Iowa Economic Development Authority Board approved $546,800 in incentives to St. Paul, Minnesota-based 3M, which has a plan in Ames that makes products for the industrial, automotive, repair, and consumer markets. Products range from sandpapers for do-it-yourself projects to commercial-grade products for industrial and commercial uses. According to the Iowa uh, Iowa Economic Department Authority, 3M plans to add equipment to increase its production capacity. In Ames, the project with totals nearly $13.6 million will create 25 jobs that pay a qualifying wage of more than $30 per hour. Construction on the site is expected to be completed in June 2024 with equipment being installed by December 2024. 3M employs about 375 people in Ames. Its current facility is about 320,000 square feet. The facility began as a distribution center when it opened in 1970 and has grown into a major part of the company's abrasive division. Dan Colhane, the president and CEO of the Ames Chamber of Commerce, called the expansion a great one not only for the company, but the city of Ames. This article was written by Michael Crum, and he's a senior staff writer at The Business Record. Plans for a new recreation center on Des Moines' north side will move forward after fundraising for the project reached its goal of $6 million, the city announced in a news release. The Des Moines City Council on Monday is expected to receive and consider $1 million in additional donations and a naming agreement for the Reichardt Community Recreation Center that will be located in the vicinity of 11th Street and 9th Street. The plan for the proposed project was developed over the course of six public meetings and more than 200 community conversations that helped shape the ideas for the recreation center and park. New donations in a naming agreement include $750,000 from Prairie Metals Racetrack and Casino. The center swimming pool will be called Prairie Metals Pool, $150,000 from Principal Financial Group Foundation, and $100,000 from Fred and Charlotte Hubble. More than $6.2 million was raised from the fundraising campaign. The City of Des Moines has committed $12 million over four years to the estimated $18 million project, which is anticipated to open in 2026. Earlier this month, the City Council also approved a professional services agreement with MA Architecture to provide architectural and engineering design services for the project. In our final story this week from the business record, the Iowa Farm Bureau Federation provided a $10,000 gift to Farm Rescue, a nonprofit organization that gives on-farm assistance to farm families that have experienced a major injury, illness, or natural, desire. I'm sorry, natural disaster. Farm Rescue services include planting, haying, harvest, grain hauling, and livestock feeding assistance to farm families during times of extreme need, all at no cost. To make it as a farmer today requires a strong work ethic, tenacity, and the determination to overcome countless challenges, but some of life's challenges can be too much to overcome alone, said Terry Johnston, Farm Rescue Development Officer. That's why we're so appreciative of Iowa Farm Bureau's support, which will help connect us with a greater number of Iowa farm families that may need assistance with planting or harvesting or feeding their livestock if they are unable. And you've been listening to The Business Record on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicap. I'm Pat Steele, and thank you for sharing your time with IRIS.